Welcome back to Beyond Well. People have been asked to work from home, and that's what we're doing. I'm Sheila Hamilton. Due to COVID-19 and keeping our butts in one place, we're teleconferencing today's guest. And I'm so happy to be joined today by C. Lamar Frizzell. And after some trial and error, we're all hooked up via teleconference. Hello? How are you? I'm surprised we did it right. He's the CEO of Cedar Hills Hospital, and he's worked in the field of behavioral health for over 20 years. And he brings practical experience both as a Lions staff member and a person educated in the fields of mental health and divinity. So, Sheila's in front of her laptop. Hi, Lamar. Can you hear me? And Lamar's in front of his laptop. I can hear you just fine. And thanks to Zoom or Skype or some sort of internet smoke signals, it's Beyond Well with Sheila Hamilton with guest C. Lamar Frizzell. Lamar, we, we're coming to people in such um, sobering times and such difficult times. I just first, I, I'd be remiss not to ask, how are you doing? Uh, I've been more than busy. <laughs> yeah. Statement. Uh, but uh, we have, we've really worked hard at the hospital uh, to make sure that our patients are safe, that our staff are safe, uh, that our screening um, is, is good and solid and uh, and and is helpful. Um, we're we're just we're just trying to make sure that our patients are taken care of, and um, we're moving forward day by day. Are you at capacity right now with um, the number of people who were already in mental health crisis, or are these new people coming in that are starting to see the strains and stresses of this particular crisis? No, we're we've been at capacity for some time. Wow. And that continues to today. Um, we, we're not really getting a sense yet, and, and it's relatively early. We've, we've been in this kind of mindset for about a week and a half, but we're not getting any real sense that the COVID-19 pandemic issues are, are having an incredible effect upon people that we're seeing so far. now. Uh-huh always change and has a tendency to change, uh, but it is still kind of early. Yeah, I just saw a, a news release that the stay-at-home order has just been put in place for the city of Portland, and so you know that when people are really not requested to be at home, but are forced to stay at home, there's going to be a different mindset, probably more anxiety, um, yes. more depression, more, more feelings of, of um, everything is spinning out of control. Yes, right. And, you know, with, with that, we, we kind of anticipated such an order. Um, we, we're actually going to be em, employing uh, telehealth technology to help us help patients who have to remain at home for oh, our patient-type work. Oh, that is wonderful. I, I want to just first talk about, you know, everyone is so focused on physical health as if somehow it's apart from one's mental health. But I think more than ever now, it's super important to be focused on how you're doing with your psychological well-being. Mm -hmm. What are you asking people to pay attention to, Lamar? Well, uh, one of the things that I really, really, really want to stress is that that people limit... um, their intake of media. Yeah. Um, 
I, I'm not saying that they shouldn't pay attention. That, I, and in fact, I'm asking people and encouraging people to do so. They have to pay attention to what's developing, but too much can really be detrimental. It's it's a very discouraging situation, uh, yeah. just in the, in its own reality, and uh, to be overwhelmed by uh, so much media is to be overwhelmed. And that's not good for us. That that's uh, it's just not good for any of us. You know, I've also just been thinking that people are attempting to stockpile information as a remedy in some way for nothing to do, right? I mean, you think about it in other wars, people could go in Rosie the Riveter. They could go to work. They could um, they could put together. Uh, donation bags for people and deliver them. You could always have face-to-face -face contact to allow oneself to be giving to others. And yet that's been stripped away during this particular pandemic. That's an interesting challenge, isn't it? Oh, it is. It is. Uh, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I may be older, but I'm connected to social media pretty substantially because of my job. And, um, I find that that's been somewhat helpful. Uh, you know, we have we have in my own family we have family members that are that are distant. We, have, we one of our son, actually two of our sons are are distant, and uh, one was supposed to come home for spring break from college, but he wasn't able to do it. So we're staying connected in that way. But I also noticed in my neighborhood the other day that children were out playing. But it was obvious that their parents had had basically drawn some boundaries, so they were kind of talking to each other across the road from one another. Oh, wow! Yeah. It seemed kind of creative that their parents understood what was happening, but still wanted to make it as good a situation for their children as possible. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. With elderly people today, I went to a, a place this morning running an errand, and I wasn't allowed in. I didn't know that they were only closed to those who were below 60 years of age. In other words, they had a window open so that elderly people could go um, into the store, feel comfortable being able to do their shopping, and then leave without feeling like their social distancing was being crowded. Yeah. So yeah staying it, connected like that. It's one of those uh, things that I think for most people, uh, trying to do something for other people feels incredibly helpful. That that altruism piece always helps for one's own mental health because you feel useful, you feel necessary, you feel um, needed. And when we strip away the ability to help other people in this critical time or to see them face-to-face -face and give them a hug or a handshake. Right. So I want to talk about some of the ways that we can still be helpful and I'm sure you just named two of them that are incredible. You can still have distance hellos and I love you and you know face-to-face -face moments, right? Are yes. you are you seeing people do other creative things that you think will help with their mental health? Um I, I see some people uh in fact my wife has done this and my and and other friends of ours they actually know where their elderly neighbors are. Oh, wow. are and they will go or they will use their phones. They'll call them 
and say, look, we're about to run out to do an errand, go to the grocery store, what have you. Is there something I could help you with? And there's just an incredible sense of relief from those, those, those neighbors that they, they welcome that. So basically they'll put their money in a, in a, in an envelope, put it, put it in a safe place on the porch perhaps. And then the person calling to ask if they could help just goes and picks it up and runs the errand. Wow. The stuff on the porch, everything's taken care of. It, it really is, if you will, circularly supported. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In other words, it, it really does help the individual doing for the individuals who need uh, something done for them. Yeah, no kidding. I, I also um, wanted to talk with you about, you know, we were in a loneliness epidemic before this crisis even took place with so many people marginalized because of economic circumstances and because of, of you know, things that happen in communities where one race or one gender is considered not to be uh, the cool thing of the moment. And um, I'm wondering if, Lamar, you're at all hopeful and optimistic that perhaps people are going to see the futility of that type of living, that maybe people will will derive something really quite beautiful and meaningful from this, which is we we are... We're all connected. We are all together on this. Yes. No, I, I really do think that, that, that I'm seeing even some of that anecdotally um, beginning to uh, kind of efface itself, uh, where people are beginning to see, hey, there may be some other people on this earth besides me, and I may be able to help them, and I may be able to be of support, and... I, I do think I do think that that's that's a a real possibility that's coming from such a very difficult time. Yeah, I know Lamar that the last time we spoke, I was really interested in not just your philosophical approach and your management approach to mental health, but also given that you're an expert in divinity, I, I was hoping that you might be able to provide some comfort for people right now because I really do think people especially who don't have any kind of spiritual practice are looking for any kind of guidance about why do these things happen? Why do such good people have to suffer so dramatically? What is it about these kind of unexpected and really negative things that happen in our lives? And where do we put that to go forward? Mm -hmm. You know, um, there is a, uh, and, and just so everybody will know, I, I come from a, a, a more of an evangelical perspective of, of, of Christianity, that is. And um, when, when I've done voluntary groups uh, on, uh, on units uh, in hospitals, and I've, I've done this for a long time, and I take a simple a simple portion of, of the Bible as it is, um, very simple concept is cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Mm. And mm. you see the reciprocal nature of that little passage. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would lead people to think through what kind of cares 
do you concern yourself with that burden you? And what is God telling you to do because he wants to take your cares? <laughs> and what, what basically happens is, and you see this a lot, I, I've, I've seen this a lot, where it's almost like an epiphanal moment where we're not designed to carry our mm. own burdens or all of our burdens or certainly the weight of those burdens. Mm. We're, we're designed to be able to depend upon uh, something greater than ourselves, someone greater than ourselves, so that they can, they can help us navigate and work through the, uh, the, the difficulties, the, the trials. Uh, those, the, care, the word care there is translation from the Greek word, which actually means anxieties. Hmm. But there's a design here in which we are asked to turn over, cast away our anxieties on someone who's in return going to take care of us. Mm, that's so beautiful. Uh, and that's where my spiritual uh, connection to God. And again, I mentioned I was an evangelical Christian. So uh, the Lord Jesus becomes so, so absolutely important to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because otherwise I, I could not. Now, Sheila, I don't know if I told you this or not before, but, I have a 34-year-old son who's severely handicapped, and he oh, averages being in the hospital about three to four times a year oh. since his birth. Oh, dear. Without that very simple understanding of cast your cares upon him because he cares for you, there's no way my wife nor I would be able to survive this life. Oh, you know, I am... Um... I'm just brought back and I have just uh, tears in my eyes, Omar, because I was reminded of when my daughter was going through her worst treatments of, of cancer, a really good therapist said to me, could you, could you offload your cares to the people who love you? And for those who are listening that don't have any spiritual belief or any spiritual grounding, that edict that you just described still works. Mm. You can you can cast your cares to your community, to the people in your neighborhood, to the people online who will support you. There is always a group of willing participants who love you, who will hold you through these really dark times. And I think that that's one of those things like, you know, we're, we're always questioning, well, where is the Lord? Where is God? Where is, uh, I believe, like many people, Lamar, that it's just love. And the more that we can show this kind of incredible love to our fellow human beings, the more we will understand why we are tested like this. Because we come away being able to give and to um, lend compassion and to offer empathy and to mm. be our best selves, you know? Yes, and, and, uh, and if I could coattail on what you just said, Basically, also, we also are able to learn how to depend upon others. Right. And yeah. if we're able to kind of put, you know, put our trust in others, our relationships deepen and, and they become more gratifying and supportive. Yeah, that is exactly right. I've been just looking, you know, I, I've been in self-quarantine and social distancing now, and I've been noticing my own. Uh, one day I'm really good because I'm 
doing yoga stretches and I'm not paying attention to the news and I've turned the TV off and I'm I'm writing letters and I'm putting together gift baskets for my mom's senior citizen thing. And I'm, and then I have the next day, Lamar, where I am, I can't not watch the TV. I watch every press conference. I'm writing. I'm, I'm uh, in a panic and I am convinced that this is the end of humanity. (laughs) What do you say to people about these interesting highs and lows that we're all going to experience from here on out? Well, when you're talking about something as serious as the pandemic is, you're talking about the normalcy of riding that roller coaster from time to time, if not times. Yeah. First of all, I I try to reaffirm that that's kind of (laughs) normal. That you're going to have highs, you're going to have lows. Some days you're going to, you're, you really are going to think this might be it. Yeah. And on the other flip side of that, well, Hey, we got through yesterday. So today's ahead of us. Let's make the most of it. Yeah, no kidding. And also, have you been giving any of your family or friends just the kind of, you know, questions to ask yourself when you see yourself start to race in our minds, the way that we tell ourselves, so this is, uh, it's it, this cough in the back of my throat is definitely, oh no, you know, I have it or my kid has it or my husband has it. Um, Do you, are you offering people the kind of grounding tools to help them calm down? Uh, yes, yes, we, we are. We're trying to help them to understand that a cough doesn't all, uh, automatically signify you have COVID, ID, uh, you know, the COVID-19. Yeah. Um, we, we, you know, and, and two, one of the things that we do here is we do not, we do not allow ourselves to wear masks. And the reason we don't want to wear masks is, first of all, we want to ensure them that we've taken many, many precautions and you don't have to be afraid. And we're here to help you with any fears that you may have. Oh, wow. So mm. our, our nursing staff, with the exception of one or two who have some health issues themselves, yeah, talking chronic issues, everybody else does not wear a mask. So we're able to stay, you know, looking at each other, uh, be able to do that. So we're, we do that masks in a, behavioral health setting sends a very negative signal. Mm. So we're trying to, we, we've worked hard at making sure that that's the case. Now that's one thing that we have done in the hospital. Um, you know, on Sunday of last, we didn't get to go to church. So I pulled my family together and we talked, I talked with my son, my daughter, and my wife, uh, about very practical things. Um, uh, just like the passage I mentioned a moment ago from, from the New Testament. Those kinds of things are the things that we talk about on a regular basis. Um, we, keep, we, keep, we help each other stay focused in that way. Yeah, that's really important. I want to just touch briefly on my biggest concern, Lamar, is that there are going to be more people who begin to feel panic attacks, anxiety increased, um, deep depression from those who are already isolated and feeling even more left behind in this economy and this society because of this uh, pandemic. And we're already at capacity. Now, the one psychiatric hospital that we have, the one psychiatric ER, uh, has no room at the inn. And I am wondering if 
the leaders of other hospitals or other health care providers have been talking with you about what the plan is. How are you going to treat people who are having suicidal ideation or um, are hearing voices for the first time? Because you cannot allow them to take up emergency beds right now. Right, right. Well, um, on Monday I had a conversation with a medical director of a, of a local emergency department and he was expressing his concern with me about us not taking patients on that particular morning and I had to explain to him unfortunately that we were at capacity mm -hmm. uh, and it had nothing to do with COVID-19 it had everything to do with we had no beds right so it is a reality and it is a working reality and and uh, I, I, the only thing I could end up doing was commiserating with the, the, the medical doctor who was the ED director. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm on conference calls at least four days a week um, with OHA, with, um, which is the Oregon Health Authority, uh, also with uh, uh, some other agencies, and also with the corporation that uh, – we as a hospital are connected to and we we are continuing to communicate just what our availability is so that we can be uh, supportive and as quickly as possible uh, but you know Sheila there's nothing like a serious situation like this pandemic that really reveals the 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 the, the kind of problem that we face and have been facing. And um, one of the things that I'm concerned about is that we, we, we take a deep breath, we look at where we're at, and we see what we can do to answer the age-old question, how are we going to create more bed space in, in our state? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and again, last time we talked on your podcast and yeah. time, it's really not about politics at all. It's a very simple equation. If you need beds, you build the beds. That's right. And that's what has to happen. Yeah, I, I do want to just remind people that if you are interested in supporting a project of uh, the attempt to build 100 new beds in the Wilsonville area uh, with Lamar's parent company, Universal Health Services, I think that it's a really good time to be contacting the Oregon Health Authority and expressing your support for this kind of thing because you're so right, Lamar. It is going to expose cracks in our social service system, in our safety net that we've never, ever wanted or had to look at before. And right. you've been looking at it for a long time, as have I, but many, uh, many people who could just breeze into the ER and get treated are going to be wondering why they're isn't the ability to get treated right away for something really, really serious. So mm. I, I'm so hoping that people take this seriously and you can find out more information at um, cedarhillshospital.com about some of the efforts to build more beds in this area. But Lamar, I just mostly just wanted to connect with you and say thank you for all of your doing every single day, but also especially during this really, really scary time, you know, uh, there are many of us that get to do our work from the privacy of our home, and yet you're there at work, you know, doing the thing. So I really appreciate it very much. Well, that means a lot to me, Sheila. Thank you very much. 
And we are supported uh, for this program by the Foundation for Excellence in Mental Health Care. If you want to find out more information about the foundation, you can click on the website now. Cedar Hills Hospital is also a big supporter of our program, and we thank you so much. Thank you.